Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Hawley, a workplace conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large-scale systems change. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States especially when it comes to employment law and in every country, they're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area. Today, we're talking about gaslighting and brainwashing. Are you making this up? Sometimes in the workplace, we end up feeling spun out, like we have been having an altered experience of reality, or we are stuck silenced in a parallel universe where no one can validate or agree with us or affirm that in fact, what we are experiencing is actually happening. Sometimes it seems like everybody else is on the same page and we are very much not on that page and there's nothing we can do. So today we are going to get into this conversation. What is gaslighting? What is brainwashing? What do you do when you feel like you are stuck in your own parallel reality? And we'll talk about some options for how we can choose to communicate at work to make it through these messy moments and move into a different situation. So first, Meredith, help us out here. Gaslighting and brainwashing are much more common terms now than I feel like they were 10, 15 years ago. And also like TikTok generation, there's different words and meanings and we don't always get the full picture. So how do you think about defining gaslighting and brainwashing? So gaslighting and brainwashing both tend to happen when people are having two different experiences of reality. And then one person is being questioned or forced to agree with a version of reality that's not theirs. Gaslighting happens when we question someone's reality, question someone's sanity, question someone's experience in an attempt to force them to agree with our reality or with a um, community version of reality. Brainwashing happens and is similar, but it's usually uh, tied more to coercive pressure to agree with a group idea, a group way of thinking. And sometimes that pressure is financial. Sometimes that pressure is physical. Sometimes that pressure is social. But both are honestly very common experiences that we have. In reality, we usually associate them with like cults or even like spirituality, religion. Um, Those are spaces where we tend to talk about it. But I think whenever there is a power dynamic differential of any kind, there is some kind of risk that someone is going to experience gaslighting or brainwashing. And the thing that I've come to realize is that although the action of gaslighting is questioning someone's sanity, questioning someone's reality, pressuring someone to agree to your version of reality, there are also experiences that people have that we'll kind of talk about where maybe the person in power isn't meaning 
to pressure anyone to change their reality, but because of that power dynamic, the effect, the impact is still the same. And the same can be true with brainwashing. I always say, like, I like to watch cult documentaries and I always say, I really like gurus and cult leaders, but I'm afraid of cult followers because they have such like an intense group think brainwashing system that gets set up where if you deviate from the group norm, you're totally cast out or even sometimes financially penalized, physically penalized. Like there are all these consequences that the group set up that cause people to adhere to some pretty wild belief systems and and things like that. So in that situation, well, I'm I'm not going to go too deep on that because I'm deeply obsessed and I'm going to continue pulling those threads <laughs> later about your deep love for cult documentaries and this delicious opinion where you're like cult leaders. Okay, fine. I get it. Cult followers, terrifying. Like get me out of there. So on the brainwashing front, like at work, it kind of feels like drink the Kool-Aid or else. Yeah. And it could be like the boss. This is where I'll bring the the kind of documentary shows back in. It could be the boss that's generating that. It also could be your colleagues right. that are generating it too. That's like, well, we all believe X, Y, Z thing. Um, and it could be, you know, of course it could be the workplace. It could be community organizations or other settings of leadership. You're on a board somewhere and they're like, but don't we all agree with the viewpoint of the company? And it like gets this kind of vibe that way. Right. Gaslighting, you're saying, is questioning someone's reality to kind of get them to agree to something else. And is that more of like the form that's not a thing or you're, where you're kind of like minimizing it or dismissing it away? It can be. Another example that's really common is uh, he had a really different perspective than you. He mm. said really different things than you. He thought it so was- one of you must be right. And one of you must be wrong Yeah, because there, this is maybe the thing where it's like, some people are like, Oh, there is one objective reality. Yours is a subjective reality though. Yeah. And his like yours gets pushed objective. to the side. Yes. And, I mean, you see this with sexual assault a lot of times, you know, I talk to a lot of survivors or people who have encountered mm-hmm. abusive behavior in that area. And a lot of times they'll say it ahead of time, like, well, I was too drunk that night. I shouldn't have worn that dress. Well, maybe I knew I shouldn't have gone into that party. Like we have a culture that sets up so much gaslighting, particularly with women around that experience that we ahead of time anticipate that somebody's going to say your reality of having experienced violence is not valid. In the workplace, a lot of times you see this where it's even that experience of that, that women experience a lot of times of, um, having an idea, then having the man, a man repeat the idea. And then all of a sudden everybody agrees with it. Like that can be a form of brainwashing or gaslighting, depending on the dynamic of it, where people are not validating your experience of reality that you have had this idea. You do work for a certain boss and you bring it to the table, then the boss gets the credit. That can feel because it doesn't validate your reality, like an experience of brainwashing. We've also talked about- You can end up being like, do I even exist? Right. You're like, am I here? Are we in the same room? And I think the pattern I'm pulling out is like, yours must not be as valid as theirs. There's this like hierarchy of them. And I think even our non-women listeners are also like going to get this one as well, because sometimes- It's like people who are higher in the rank order than you, people who have the boss's ear in a certain kind of way. It's all sorts of this power game situation. And gaslighting over time can 
function to brainwash you. If you continue to get convinced out of your reality or that yours is lesser, it can create this thing that's like, why would I even say anything anymore? Like it's easier to just not bother thinking and saying it because it's just constantly reverts to like whatever the group thing is where the consensus is located. And I've had clients, honestly, who have come to me and I've said, well, you know, like one of the tests for coming back to yourself is if you're walking down the street and someone who um, is clearly having mental health problems comes up to you and says, you have ugly purple hair. Do you believe them? One, do you have purple hair? And two, purple hair is always beautiful. So, you know, it's not true. No, it's not true. And I've had clients be like, no, I literally would believe them because they've been so absorbed into a brainwashing system or a gaslighting system that they are so trained to question their own reality. Mm-hmm. Like I had one client say to me one time, if you told, she pointed at a plant on my desk and said, if you told me this wasn't a plant, I would believe you. Like she just had such a fragmented sense because mm-hmm. she had been gaslit and brainwashed for so long. She had such like a, a sense that other people's experience of reality was more valid than hers. I feel like I've had this experience on both sides, I guess, for example, Mm -hmm. like when I had my sexual harassment experience, I went to a female supervisor pretty early on, like before things had really started. And I said, Hey, I think there's some kind of dynamic with this guy. That's not totally professional. Like, I just want to make sure I'm showing up really professionally and that this workplace is about the job for me. Do you have any advice about this? And she said, well, I'm really surprised to hear you say that because this other woman worked with him for a long time and she never said anything like that. And she's really pretty. And that kind of dynamic as an example, like just, I, I sort of, knew that she was in the wrong about it, but I was reluctant to then bring that issue up again because it had been framed like I'm saying that I'm pretty. <laughs> well, or like that if that were true, somebody else would have also said it. Yes. Which is not necessarily a thing. Yes. Right. Like like Lassie is coming to you and it's like Timmy's in the well. And you're like, if Timmy's in the well, we would know by now because we would have heard a splash. And Lassie's <laughs> like, look, I'm a dog. Like I know I know Timmy, like I'm, right. I'm trying to give you signals here, but they're like, why is this dog losing its mind? You know, it's like, no, I mean, those are, those are all kind of cognitive distortions a bit. That's like, well, if that's, if there was such a thing as climate change, we would have already known by now. It's like, okay, maybe, but like, you just also said words and that doesn't make the thing you're saying true. But like in your situation, when you got that feedback, are you going to be like, no, she wasn't that pretty or like, what are you saying? I'm not pre- like, this, I don't know if it's like a thought stopping comment, the way that you got that feedback shut down your ability to get like a second read on the actual situation. It put you in kind of like a stopped situation. And one of the things that I realized about it later is that I honestly, in that situation was not seeking validation of my experience. I was just looking for advice about how to show up with good boundaries. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been able to articulate it that way at that point, but that was what I was looking for. But because she undermined instead of validating my experience, that had a big impact on me and my ability to continue to seek help and seek support. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, after like, you know, that was many, many, many years ago. And, um, now I've had all these experiences of having my own employees working with my own employees and the amount of power that you have 
as someone who employs other people and the amount of power that other people attribute to you that you don't necessarily think you have yourself. The power you have, or like when we're in managerial roles, there's the power we have. And then there's also the fear that people show up with. And that can create a power dynamic or, or just accentuate it. And of course we don't know, like when I'm, when you're showing up to that workplace or when I show up to mine, I have no idea what are my personal fears versus like, what is the power dynamic with this person? All I know is they could fire me. Like they have decision-making authorities that I don't have. And so even fears that I'm bringing unconsciously without realizing it, like those will be activated if I, the more I care about the role and want to keep it because I I don't want to tick them off. And, and, you know, if they tick me off, I can't fire them. If I take them off, like anything could happen. And that asymmetry of even, even just an asymmetry of fear can create a power dynamic. Right. Right. I had this experience of uh, some years back where I had an assistant who was amazing. She did amazing work. She was like totally to me, a partner in the job. She was really fun. She understood the work I did. She was really passionate about the clients and really thoughtful. And she, like every other human made some mistakes and um, we were taking on, this was when I was doing a lot of civil rights litigation. So we were taking on a lot of cases in part because she was really also passionate about it. And so she would convince me to take cases. I'd be like, oh, we got to take that case. You're right. Um, But she was just really fun to work with and amazing. And she really had a hard time when she made a mistake with the fact that I wasn't mad at her about it. And I had a very different experience of the mistakes she was making than she did. Like to me, the mistakes she was making, I had made 5,000 times also. So they just seem normal to me. And they like in the context that I have, they just weren't normal and they were how things go. And she ended up unpreventable. It's just, you weren't disturbed by it. Also, for those of you listening, Meredith Holly is one of my favorite. I would, I would say you're a non-perfectionist. I'd say you have strong opinions, but that you're not, you're also like, no, no, we do. We, I think the first time we talked, you were like, yeah, the secret is like, sometimes we do be plus work. If you're writing an article, like a a blog article or something or a newsletter, it's like, no, no. If your purpose is interrupting oppression, then do the B plus or B minus or whatever, get it out there. Obviously like with legal cases, you have different standards, but like generally speaking, you're not as like hampered by perfectionism or like overachieving and never getting anything wrong well, than most I, people I would know. I think one of the things that you learn as a lawyer is that there are some things that you have to like check 10 times that do mm-hmm. need to be correct. But the systems are so complicated that we use that you just are always going to make some mistakes and most mistakes are just recoverable. And then you just correct mm-hmm. it and you do have to kind of build some tolerance for mistakes in the law, like working hard, being detail oriented, you know, you still try, but because the systems are so complex, you just do make a certain amount of mistakes and, and mistakes are part of learning. I mean, I, I think in some ways it is that put out the B minus work thing. And I had a mentor who used to say, she was like a business mentor. And she would always say to us, you guys, my, shit is janky. Like put out janky (laughs) shit if it's going to help people. Like just go test it, see what's going to work. And I think that that is valuable. On the law side, we do double check things, triple check things. But, and then even then, sometimes you just 
make a mistake and then you just correct it. And there are just all these systems in place for how you correct it, you know, because people so you already it. knew about that. I just, I wanted people to have that context. Cause yeah. like when you're like, Oh, I didn't really care. Literally. Cause literally the story everyone is going to come up where someone's like, Oh, but like I'm failing and you're not telling me. And Meredith's like, these mistakes are like, there is this whole other context, right? Cause Meredith knows the law. She knows the system. She's been through it. And you're like, these are recoverable. This is all kind of like scuffling on the court or whatever. Like, this is what happens. Like there will be black streaks on the basketball court. Like it will occur. We're not going to have a perfectly spick and span house all the time. Like this is not how reality works. Also at the same time now, in retrospect, I had been doing legal work for like almost like like 17 years or something at that point. Like I had been a legal assistant for a really long time before I went to law school. Like I'd been in this world for a really long time. So I had way more context than this amazing person who worked with me. But there she, she was. And she was like, aren't you mad at me? I'm making yeah. mistakes. And she um, ended up leaving and saying that she had looked into what gaslighting is and that she knew I wouldn't um, – intend to gaslight somebody that that was her experience. And it really hit me hard. And at first I was kind of defensive about it and felt like it was unfair. And then later I really realized that I had not taken the time to sit and validate her experience and sit with her that although her experience was different than mine of the work that she was doing, it was valid. And she is allowed to have her perspective. Like my perspective is not better than hers. Hers was entirely valid. And like, like I just offer that because I think that people can really get defensive and really get self-protective when someone else uses that language around them. And I think at the end of the day, even if we are not intending to gaslight someone, our reality, especially when we're someone who has strong opinions, can feel really impactful on other people. And I think that there is that room to take the extra step of not just not gaslighting somebody, not just not questioning their reality or trying to impose intentionally your reality on other people. But there's the next step of really taking that space to step back and make sure you understand the other person's reality, reflect back understanding of what they're telling you and validate that their perspective is legitimate because they're a human and this is their their experience of the world. It's almost like, it's like if somebody comes and they're like, look, X, Y, Z is true. You have ugly purple hair. And you're like, okay, hang on a second. Because you could be like, no, I don't. Uh, you know, obviously that was a joke. You'd be like, no, I don't. You're deranged. <laughs> like that is not correct. Look at the mirror. My hair is not, you know, and fall into this like trap almost of like this tug of war. But, you know, because the purple hair example is so wacky. It's like, if someone's like, you have ugly purple hair. I think there is another way that I've learned from you to kind of step back and be like, okay, hang on. Let's step back for a second. Before we defend, before we discount their perspective, before we discard it, just being like, hang on, wait, actually, this does not match up with the fact pattern that I am in the rhythm of proceeding with. And so there's a moment to stop and be really almost radically curious and be like, okay, hang on. What if I imagine that it almost certainly makes sense, given this person's life experience, that they are saying what they are saying? I just don't know what their life experience is. 
And I'm like, hang on. I heard, I think I heard you say I have ugly purple hair. Am I getting that right? And they're like, yes, your hair is ugly and purple. And I'm like, okay, you know, there is a moment to just clarify. And then who knows? I mean, this is a silly example, but it's like, I don't know. Do they actually, have they thought that brown and purple are the same color because they're colorblind and my hair is brown, right? And like by ugly, maybe they're trying to say like, you're about to take a picture and like, this is going to go on the front page of a magazine forever. And like, this is not what your hair was looking like five minutes ago. And like, I don't want you to hate me, but I am really nervous. And so I'm trying to stop this photo shoot from pissing you off forever so that you can me, right? And they're like, coming all flapped, you know, because this to them is like their job is on the line. Right. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. I think I'm now hearing you say my ponytail got weird. And they're like, yes, your ponytail got weird. And I was so scared to tell you, but like, I felt like I had to, you know, of course it's not going to go like that every time, but being like, Hey, wait a minute, like walk me through this. Like, the, the trying to have it make sense for a minute so that you can get what's on their side of the table is a different step than being like, no one ever says that around here. Like nobody thinks that, you know, or just brushing them off kind of. Yeah. And I think that that's totally right. And I think what you're hitting on is that question of, is there any feedback? Is there any gold that we can take from this experience, even if it's painful Mm -hmm. um, on either side? And I also think another important component of it is like when I'm doing mediations or facilitations, I always say the three rules of a challenging conversation to follow are consent acknowledge power dynamics and identify them explicitly. And then the gut brain uh, relationship. So make sure that you've had enough water, make sure you've eaten food. Have you slept? Are you in the right space to have this challenging conversation? And I think that what you're hitting on also speaks to that power dynamic component. If Mm -hmm. we're the person in the lower power dynamic. And that can be in a lot of different ways. So it can be a financial power dynamic. We could be the employee with a boss. It could also be a social power dynamic. Like in in workplaces, a lot of times there are people who have certain social power or we perceive them to have certain social power. Like this person is friends with the boss, this person, everybody, there's the coolest kid in the workplace, whatever that is. if we can know ahead of time, do I see myself as being on the lower power dynamic? Is that built into the structure of the workplace or am I just seeing myself that way, right? Am I the boss, but because of social dynamics, I see myself as having lower social power and we can unpack those. I think that there are different ways that we need to approach the question of gaslighting and brainwashing. Because if we are the boss in a space, there is certain power that we have built into that space. And if we don't own that power and own the influence that we have, then we can't encounter another person's reality as easily in a productive and healthy way. Yeah. And, and I think the impact of that, that you're kind of pointing to in this situation, your employee was like, I don't think you intend this. Right. And it's not, I don't know if she experiences violent or something, but it's like, she's like, I keep waiting for the boot to drop. 
Right. And to this, whether we intend it or not, there is the stuff in psychology or like some people's therapy that's like anticipation on a biochemical level functions as reality. Yeah. And so just like waiting for the thing to happen, waiting for the thing. And then she's like, I'm, I'm positive you're mad at me. And you're like, I'm not mad at you. Like it doesn't resolve it. But like the, there is like this alternate conversation in a situation where people genuinely do not want to be gaslighting each other. Right. If someone's like manipulating you and is trying right. to gaslight you, this would not work. Right. But in a situation where you're like, okay, wait, are we actually just missing each other? Do I think that this, you know, I hate the terms good faith and bad faith, but like, would we fix this if we could, right. you know, like, how confident do I feel? And then when that's really tangled, I just think it, I think I've learned a lot from you that like when we are in the higher place in that hierarchy, if someone thinks we're holding a knife as the boss and we're like, no, no, we're just besties. And they're like, yeah, but your job gives you access to a knife that you can use to cut my computer cord off, you know, and then I don't have an email address anymore. And you're like, no, like I, but I just, I think we're partners. Right. And then we're not, but like, if we can't acknowledge the power differential, and like the the imbalance and the vulnerabilities of it, especially when both people care so much, like you kind of told me about a situation I was facing recently, like if I'm in the power position and I don't acknowledge that, then they can't feel safe, right? You just like, are weaponized, I think, if you can't acknowledge. If they, especially if someone feels you have a weapon. It's like, unless you're like, look, here is how we deal with, you know, terminations, all right? But it, it, if nobody talks about that, other thing. Nobody talks about like, I'm actually really afraid of getting fired, right. you know, or you don't realize that that's going on for them as the leader, then it, it doesn't function like a safe experience. And for your I, staff I think that's exactly right. And I think when we talk about something you said really stuck with me of people who are intentionally gaslighting us. And I think that there are some, you know, there's like two to 15% of the population are like true predators and are trying to do this stuff. But I think a more significant portion of, and, and those people, we might just need to really look at our boundaries around really get in touch with our reality, build that solid relationship with ourselves. But I think that there is a more significant portion of the population that just is very, very uncomfortable with diversity of idea and opinion and and that we've not been taught to be safe in a space where people have a different opinion or a different reality than us. And I think that um, like there's so much focus because even when we were talking about the situation that you had about acknowledging our power dynamics and like other people having that experience of us, whether we have it or not, whether we think that we're friends or not. One of the topics that we were talking about is that we want to build community. And that's such a great thing to want to do, right? Like we want to have. I'll call myself out specifically. I was like, but I don't want to be in a power dynamic, Meredith. Like I want this to be like a circle. Like this is us all coming together, but like also I'm responsible. I mean, I'm building the circle, right? So I can like (laughs) I have the different powers in the circle and I want you were like, and I don't want this person to be in the circle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want these other people who are amazing. Right. I mean, but right. like it, it's real. Right. And so a lot of times, like with my supervisor, when she was like, this other person was really pretty and never said anything part of, I think where we're coming from when we are gaslighting people, even if we're not intending to, is we are uncomfortable with their version of reality and we want to get out of it. 
and we want to get back to our version of reality or the version of reality that we were raised with or that feels normal or feels like community, like we're not necessarily intending to be aggressive against somebody else, but we still are. Like that's still the impact. Like for me in my situation, it was more comfortable to me if my assistant was was okay with making mistakes. And so I was like, you should be comfortable with making mistakes. <laughs> like, cause that's what I'm more comfortable with. But I didn't take that extra step to say like, it is valid to feel uncomfortable in this space. This is a big challenge and I get it, you know, and let her reality be present, which is ultimately gaslighting. Yeah. And, and also like, you know, if you go back and do it again, we were kind of workshopping this earlier. It's like, choosing how you're going to communicate about that like being like okay when is that coming up for you and like what do what do we want to do because i you know it's hard you don't want her like holding it up and having six weeks of nightmares or something like yeah. that but then if she comes to you and it's like hi like you know can you yell at me i messed this thing up and you're like i'm not gonna yell at you you know it's like a, it's a non-starter in some way so it's like i think that's one other alternative it's like okay in this situation, if I'm your assistant, if I'm like, all right, when I screw up and then I try to tell you about that, I I need to know how you are going to tell me if you are upset with me. Like, I need to know how to know if this is a low risk or a high risk thing, because you're just telling me they're all low risk. And so I notice I think you're lying to me. Right. Or like, and I, I don't know if one day actually you're you're just being nice. And then one day you're going to be like, this is your 51st one. But it's like paper cuts and it doesn't make you mad one by one. Like, how would I know if you were mad and you guys, you know, you guys could make something up now? That's right. a bit. I'm saying that to you partly as your colleague and friend, you know, so like right. that's a different thing for me to like negotiate that out of you, just like it would be different for you to negotiate out with me, you know, in that right. situation. But as leaders, I think that's something that we can maybe look into, right? Is like, how do we take some of the, and I think that's in your three principles of like acknowledging the power dynamics and making things explicit. Because if I'm like, this is a circle, everyone's a circle, ha ha ha. But like, versus being like, hi, like, you know, we have standards in this space. When we do A, we get B, you know, outcome. When we get do C, we do, we get D outcome. And it's spelled out. So people are like, ah, okay, good. Everybody wants me to be really honest and transparent, except this is where that boundary is. And if that happens, do I just get, do I lose access overnight? Do they give me a warning? Like, how would I know? And what would the feedback systems be? And if that gets more developed, it can be less fearsome for people. Yeah. And then I think when we're on the other side, when we're on the receiving side and we're feeling gaslit, I think, so I think kind of what you're saying is, on the leadership side, what we can do is we can be explicit about what crosses a line and what doesn't where that like, this is a problem and this is not a problem. And I think also explicit about, I know I have this power over you. I know that I am a person in a power position. And then I think the other thing we can do is we can validate the person's perspective and say, I know this was a really hard experience for you. I support you in it. And I know you tried your best and that this was difficult. Like I'm hearing you say this, I'm hearing what you're saying and ask them if we're, if we're accurately hearing what they're saying, like really treat their perspective with value, even though it's different than ours. It doesn't mean that it has to be our, our perspective. So we can create that framework and to share our perspective. And we can also validate 
someone else's perspective. And then I think when we're on the receiving end, when we feel like we're being gaslit, I think the things that we can do are enforce our boundaries, create safety, reward ourselves. And then sometimes we can even in a safe relationship, we can ask for validation. Like, will you confirm that you've heard what I'm saying? Will you tell me what you've heard me say? Will you confirm that you understand this is my perspective, even if it's different than yours? We can ask for that communication that creates, that builds back the connection again. And I think that that's not rude. I think it is asking for what we need. Yeah. A way that in my marriage, we have kind of played around with this too. When you feel like the other person is discounted a lot, because it, if the other person thinks has like a self concept or like an identity around being like a good manager or a good spouse or whatever, you know, and then you're there, someone's like, Hey, you know, it like, it can go sideways a little yeah. bit. So one of the ways that I found to like, you know, cause you have to do a lot of ego management at work sometimes is to be like, okay, look in my marriage, I'll say, I noticed I've been having a recurring emotional experience sometimes whereby X, Y, Z at a workplace. I might say, I notice I continue to face a recurring concern from time to time that the mistakes that we are discussing are actually having an impact that I am not privy to. Mm -hmm. And that freaks me out because of how committed I am to this job. Right. And so I would love to check in with you to just validate that there isn't anything unresolved with the impact on the things that we have discussed. And I noticed one thing that would really help me focus and put me at ease would be if you could help run me through what to expect if a future mistake ever got to a level where something wasn't okay. Cause I'm hearing you say that it's okay, but like, I notice I'm still really anxious because I just don't even know what it would sound like. Mm -hmm. And if I knew what you would say and that I had not missed an email, I would not be checking my, I was going to say Blackberry, but it's not like 2004 (laughs) right now. I would not be checking my phone at three in the morning, waking up in a cold sweat that maybe I had let you down and I wouldn't know. So would you be willing to have a conversation about how it is you would give me the feedback if something was an escalation, like, what do we need to create? That's a lot to ask. I'm not saying everyone should do that, but I just kind of wanted to like. In a trusting relationship, I think. In a trusting can. relationship. And you then can say I something think like that. Some examples that we, we kind of uh, were talking about ahead of time of bad responses to that, like gaslighting responses to that. Uh, like one is like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, I hate that apology. Um, oh, stop you're being so sensitive. You're being too sensitive. Um, I just have to walk walk on eggshells around you, and it's not my fault. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. Get over it can mm-hmm. be gaslighting responses. And these are ones that I reflect back that I've even engaged in. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're being too critical. There's always going to be mistakes. There's always, these are sentences that do not take the time to validate that someone else's perspective exists. And then yeah. even another one that we've talked about is like, we need to get on the same page. We need to always be on the same page. Mm-hmm. I need us to be on the same page about this, that can be something that says, I need you to absorb my perspective about and this. Also stop worrying about this so much. Or like I used to get um, quipping so hard on yourself. Yeah. Then if you don't do that, basically it kind of can send the signal that it's your job to internalize it all. 
And and that is like an accidental brainwash or gaslight, right? It's like, don't bring this to me anymore. Carter. A big coaching gaslight like that is, I guess you just have some self-work to do. You need to do some thought management about this. You need We're to. We're not being coachable. Yeah. 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 So those like, and the reason that they are gaslighting is they're saying, I do not have time for your perspective Mm -hmm. and what you can say if you do not have time for it is literally, I need to have this conversation tomorrow. I really want to have this conversation though. And your perspective is important to me. That's a different way to say, I don't have time for this conversation right now. And it's more direct and it's more honest, but it does still validate that the other person's perspective is a legitimate experience of life. You might still disagree with it. You might not share it, but it's not gaslighting. And I think like just to kind of one more final example where I've seen this happen is um, I've, I've been involved in like a couple of facilitations lately, like bigger group facilitations. And um, what I've seen is there is a really common group process of wanting everybody to build consensus and again, be on the same page. And that can be really great. It can feel really great. And also it doesn't allow for diversity. And so there needs to be a balance where we can say, There is diversity of experience in this room. There is diversity of opinion. That's how we're going to be creative. All of these perspectives are valid and will help us reach a creative outcome. But we can kind of adjust to not having so much pressure for people to just agree with the group perspective at the outset. Mm -hmm. And I'm not always a big fan of like military model references in civilian society for a variety of reasons, but there is this really interesting model that keeps coming up for me on these topics called the OODA loop. I think it's actually Air Force, U.S. Air Force derived. Wikipedia says it's U.S. Air Force Colonel John Boyd. But basically they have this model called OODA, which is observe, orient, decide, act. And I think sometimes we just get so concerned about like having the same action or something that we don't stop and be like, actually, is it okay? Can we make it fine that actually we have different observations that we have different orientations, we can still come to a, a shared decision and commit to a shared decision from different orientations. But some in some of these situations, we can slow it down and go back to sharing the observations, go back to sharing orientation, checking in with the other persons, and then form decisions from a place that is aware of these multiple unfolding parallel realities all at the same time. The last thing I wanted to just tag on to this is that I've been doing a bunch of work on tech and ethics lately, and we've been talking a bunch about what does ethics mean. And Kenna McRae, who is just an awesome colleague who I have loved learning from, shared this idea from bioethics that in a one-person universe, there would be no need for ethics because there'd just be one person. They'd have their values. But it's like this idea that ethics, which is like something that people are calling for, like whether it's in the industry right now and government and like everything that's happening in the world people are like oh we need more ethics or you know maybe we don't but she was like ethics and bioethics only comes up when you're in a two-person reality or more where you have two different value sets and so you know everybody has their values but like part of the ethics is actually like reconciling those different value sets and that can feel i think sometimes it gets characterized especially if we've been in sort of brainwashing environments for a long time, like that's a danger or that's a threat. But actually, like if you only had salespeople 
in your office and you had no accountants in your office, everyone would have the same values, but like you would sell a lot of products and I'm not sure how much revenue you would actually necessarily be booking. I'm not sure what you would be doing with that revenue because accountants have different values and that difference of perspectives allows a lot of companies to both sell things and account for revenue and be thoughtful about where to invest it. And so inside having those two you know, sets of observations. Okay, we're observing different things, but also different orientations. Decisions get forged that aren't everybody drinking the same Kool-Aid in the same way, like rah-rah sales team necessarily, or everybody like auditing the books, like, oh my God, we need answers for every tiny thing. No shade to accountants, because I know accounting accounting is more than that. (laughs) But so much more, it's just so necessary, I guess, this point in a business environment, if you actually want to function well as a team to have those different orientations. It's a really good, it's a really good point. Cause I, for a long time have like the word values kind of sets off a gaslight alarm to me because I think values can be so used to say they're good values and bad values. And I, I did a deposition recently where somebody said that he was raised right. And I started asking him what that meant and he couldn't answer the question, but I, I was genuinely like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he thought I was trying to trap him. But I think that that comes back to that idea of good values and bad values. But I think that what you're talking about is that core essence of who we are and what we have to bring to the world that as a value, and that is meant to be diverse and the diversity is beautiful and it leads to us being able to function (laughs) on a base level and then being creative on a higher level. And when we can sit with the fact that our reality is valid and know that, and also hold that somebody else might have a different Mm -hmm. version of reality, a different, it might be an opinion, but it might also be a totally different experience than what we've experienced, then I think that we can become kind of impervious or immune to gaslighting and to brainwashing because we have a strong sense that our perspective is valid, even if somebody else is different. I think in the end, this all starts from, and and your path, if you're facing kind of a gaslighty, brainwashy situation at work, you do deserve for your own well-being to triage, like, is this messed up, right? Do I need to relocate my body? Like the number one marathonic question always, like, is this just actually an over, we're over and done with situation? Is this a conversation where I actually feel like there is room for communication still and room to salvage it? Right. We're not saying like, do this and then stop thinking you're being gaslit. That's not right. (laughs) But what we hope that this has opened up a little bit is like in these situations, especially when we feel it's a little bit gaslighty, but we're not quite sure how to name it, especially when we're in those moments where we're like, I'm pretty sure this is unintentional and we just don't know what to do. We hope that this conversation has opened up at least a few options that you can think through, practice on your own. A couple of new questions that you can face when you're in a mid-tier situation in leadership where you have people up in the hierarchy, you have people down, you have people across, you know, how can we think about these roles we play? How can we create more room here to embrace the creativity and capability of different perspectives 
without feeling like that's going to jeopardize the work, right? Re-embracing that these differences actually can be really powerful and crucial for the results that we're committed to, um, and then re-including those in our own process as well. Meredith, if people have other questions, they have stories, they have experiences, they have challenges or spicy questions for us around gaslighting, brainwashing, or the ilk, um, how can they get in touch with us? Probably the best way to do it is to go to heiressresolution.com slash story. That's if you want to share your perspective. And you can also email info at heiressresolution.com. That's E-R-I-S resolution.com. Eris, goddess of discord. Why? Not because we just want to have a bad day, my friends, but because as we talk through some of these challenging topics, we can service new perspectives and those can change the way we think and relate and are capable of working together. Thank you so much, Meredith. And thank you everyone for joining. We'll see you next time. The Empower Communication Podcast is produced by Same Team Media. Music by Sarai Johnson.